welcome. Thank you for joining us on Three Women's Three Ways for the show that tackles some tough topics sometimes. And uh, gosh, you know, these we talk a lot about academics and we talk a lot about research, but we also talk about the real people and the real stories. And that's what this show is about today, real people, real stories. My guests are Michael Volpe, journalist and author, and Tanya Hathaway. Welcome, Michael and Tanya. Thank you for having me. Great. Tanya, I didn't give much of an introduction for you. Um, I want you to each spend a couple of minutes um, explaining to our audience who you are, what you do, and why this story is something that you're talking about today. Tanya, you go first. Okay, Heather, thank you. Um, Well, yep, my name is Tanya Hathaway, and I have an adult background of of being an advocate in the venue of domestic violence. So that has been something, or, you know, of course, (laughs) anti-domestic violence, of course. Um, So that, um, what brought me to that was year, very abusive relationship uh, with a New Jersey state trooper and I had never really experienced anything quite like that and and there was no cycle of that in in my life but to make that long story short and I hope he's okay and everybody's okay in his life of course um, I had my aha moment about eight years into it when you know the uh, violence became worse and worse and and I realized I'm going to die. I'm going to be a statistic if I don't do something about it and started realizing it was just as much, you know, that I was part of the problem by staying there, by enabling, by, you know, all that stuff. So at that point, you know, when you're in something like that for so long, you yourself become emotionally and mentally uh, debilitated. And, you you know, I had, um, you know, the, the battered woman's syndrome so I, I got some significant counseling to help me through that. And then I uh, became, I, I, I got into some training with a local police department that actually helped me through this because I was wearing this alarm alert thing around my neck, all this stuff because it was so dangerous. Um, and I got into some training and I became a certified crisis intervention counselor and I volunteered and what that did was really helped me get straight too. I guess it's kind of like, you know, when you're in um, AA, you wind up reaching a certain point. I think this is like when you wind up sponsoring other people. So it's a win-win. So it was for me. And it really didn't become an issue, you know, for me beyond that uh, much other than I minimized certain other uh, domestic relationships where there was some bullying going on. But but um, so I was, I've been an advocate for my whole life with, with that, my whole adult life. But what got me into this turning the corner and, and this fast forward into the kind of whistleblower and advocate and uh, um, radio show host as you are um, is uh, I was, I married somebody that was um, wound up being you know, I wound up being a little bit duped, and it's really the least of uh, a lot duped. And but that's the least of my story because when I tried to get justice from it, and it was a whirlwind relationship, got married about four months after we met in person, 
And when I, you know, tried to get justice through the legal system, lo and behold, you know, you think that there's going to be an outlet for you. And although you know that it's not a perfect world, it's not a perfect legal system, but um, I live in New Hampshire and the legal end of it wound up being forced, in a sense, to take place in Oklahoma. And that's part of my issue and the litigation that's four years now uh, where it doesn't belong. But I, I, I discovered how horrible in this particular place that the legal system was. It wasn't only that I had been a victim and I haven't gone through my life being a victim. I'm not that person. Okay. But it's important to realize and not blame yourself when something really bad happens to yourself to you, but you have to still get up and you still have to respond whether it's your fault or not. Right. So right. I realized. Before we, Tanya, before we get too much into your story, I want to get Michael in here um, because right. we're still kind of doing the introductions, and I, I don't want to leave Michael hanging. Thank you so much for being with us, Michael. Tell me, Michael, your uh, your professional background is obviously as a journalist and an author, and you have written several uh, pieces and books on these kinds of situations, have you not? Right, yeah. I started first investigating just uh, family court corruption, and that started in, like, late 2013, and it's evolved into all sorts of court corruption. And so you, you ask, like, what is, what's unique about this story? Um, there's several – first of all, what, what Tanya was talking about, uh, that she's in New Hampshire and it wound up in Oklahoma, it's something called subject matter jurisdiction, which we'll go over. But basically it, it revolves around a dirty concept called judge or forum shopping, and that's something that happens a lot, but not written about a lot. And then here another funny-sounding term called nunk-pro-tunk, and then that's a very obscure and unique way to corrupt the system, at least the way it was uh, formulated here. Uh, and the other thing I like to do is I like to expose bad judges and name them by name, and I sort of feel like I'm doing something good in the world if I'm able to broadcast to like an audience and say, hey, you should watch out for this judge. The more I do that, the more I'm contributing to the world. So um, those are some of the unique things about the case. And I have been looking at these issues and not just in family court, but in courts in general. Um, okay. And so, so I think that's so basically what, what you're saying, Michael, is, is that, you know, there are unfortunately thousands and thousands of cases of women, domestic violence, judicial system, mm-hmm. and horror stories. But what you're saying Correct. is unique about this one is that these concepts of this judge shopping and this, these other concepts mm-hmm. that you're talking about are just really come into play in this. Uh, how typical are these, that uh, this kind of situation? So well, you, the, you mentioned the judge shopping. The but what ju- judge, shopping judge shopping is so common that it has a term. Now, this, it, the, the non-protonc, basically what essentially, non-protonc in simple form, it's when a judge goes, and, goes back and fixes something they've done wrong before. And it's not exactly what that means, but it basically means the same thing. But in, in Tanya's case, the judge went back and after the fact ruled against her on things she was expecting to still have be heard. And it's also an agreement I, among parties as another uh, uh, way of, it can be an agreement also between the parties that they're coming to, and then they go right. forward in the case. Yeah. But I actually saw somebody else be corrupted in, in, with the use of non-protonc in a similar way, and that, and that lends me to believe that 
this sort of strategy is probably probably is I don't know about widespread, but certainly more than these two cases. But again, how many people are talking about you know the the corrosive effect of judge shopping or the corrosive effect of this non-proton use? And so um, you know it's an interesting look at the the legal system, and also these these are fairly common techniques. Just most people don't realize they're happening until they happen to them. Yeah, well, that's the case with everything in court. I, I, Tanya, you mentioned that, you know, you, the expectation is that you'll go to court, and that's courts are all about justice and fairness. Uh, when in fact, there, and I don't mean to besmirch courts, a lot of them work function very well, um, but courts are more about paperwork and laws. They have really uh, any 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 relationship to justice and fairness is coincidental um, because the focus is on the laws and the paperwork. Uh, and do you, either of you disagree with me on that? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think with, yeah. I don't think when it comes to family court, usually, you know, or divorce anyways, there's no winner there, you know, because it's a tough situation to begin with, but there should be fairness. There should be transparency. There should be due process in any venue of uh, being in a civil or a criminal court. Um, so, uh, you know, and we're talking about these techniques and the te those techniques that Michael brought up are all well and fine if they're done within the confines of the law, but if they are abused and they are, you know, they come across as though they're within confines of the law, but yet they've been twisted and manipulated from behind the scenes. Um, then, then it's then it's not within the law. Like, it, um, like forum shopping. Okay, there that that can be valid if there actually is more than one area where there can be subject matter jurisdiction, which means listeners where you can actually file uh, for a, a, a for for an action in in the court. But if there is an action filed in a court that has no place, nowhere, does not meet the prongs that are necessary to have subject matter jurisdiction, then that technique is now corrupted. And it's not even a technique. It is, it's illegal. <laughs> it's unjust. Um, yeah. and, and the same but, thing with pro... People who have not been involved in these things will say, but surely, surely these are just anomalies. Surely this is just slipping through the cracks of a system and that mostly the system is, is great and it will uh, preclude these kinds of issues. How would you respond to that? Can I answer Michael, that? do you want to I, take that? I know we both can, but you yeah. go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> right. The, 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 problem, the problem that I have with that is that I've seen this kind of situation so many times and I've seen appeals courts, including in this situation, uh, confirm these clearly corrupt decisions and they'll twist themselves into knots. You know, the, the story I'm most associated with is the Rucky story. And Sandra Brazzini Rucky was removed from her home, no Fourth Amendment, no hearing, nothing. And an appeals court and, and, and told, you better leave in three hours or we're going to put you in jail. And the appeals court said, that's fine because it's a temporary ruling and basically said, you can temporarily remove somebody. Uh, once I see it finalized, maybe I'll rule on it. And you, you see these and, and that example multiplied by hundreds and thousands 
and it's no longer an anomaly. And when you see courts uphold these rulings, equally trying to twist themselves in the knots to try to justify what is clearly a corrupt ruling, and you see it over and over and over again, I don't think it's an anomaly anymore. And and well, and you know what I have to say about that also, um, just you know, to to springboard off of that is, you know, there might be some courts that have, you know, hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of um, of uh, divorce cases or what not go through them, and you won't see these patterns. And if there's an issue, usually issues can be made right and that's also what an appeals court is for is you know to make something that went wrong right so what i found is that is what brought me into the uh, the whole oklahoma thing is that a lot of people started telling me about their issues and and to me this has been a pandora's box so i didn't just you know i i was like handling my stuff on my own and then all of a sudden it's like wow I'm not alone here. And a lot of people have things that are a lot worse than mine. And, oh, my gosh, it's coming out of the same county. And, oh, my gosh, it's the same judge. And, oh, my gosh, it's the same appeals. You know what I mean? And so there's a lot of that in different places throughout our country. And when you see this systematic checklist that seems to be followed and the same judges and the same prosecutor and the same attorneys even and and, and then the same say cps division or dhs people in a certain county when you see these things happening over and over and over again in the same place then you know that's not an honest mistake if nobody's there correcting it so, you know, not all the judges are bad, not all the district courts are bad, not all the superior supreme appeals are bad, but when it's bad, it's it's bad. And when something bad happens, you should be able to make it okay. But, well, you, you know, and... Can I, can I just add one other thing? Much, well, the can problem I, with what you're saying, Tanya, about making things, you should be able to get make them better. The, the courts and the judges are pretty much exempt um, from any higher authority. Um, it, it just is excruciating and, and laborious to try and get them accountable. So is that part of the problem? Right. right. Yeah, yes. you know, that's it's, it's ironic because that was the, the branch that everyone thought was the weakest when when the uh, country was started. But, yeah, no, there's, a, there's definitely a tyranny in the judiciary, and then they're effectively policing themselves. Um, you know, because the way, you know, that's, that's what these appeals are for. But look, in in Tanya's case, she lives in New Hampshire. The the entire divorce is being argued over a property in New Hampshire. And for whatever reason, the state of Oklahoma has decided they should make the decision on this property in New Hampshire. And everywhere she goes, she says, you guys don't have the power or the right to make this decision because... Not only say it, I've proven it. Right. And then if one judge ignores her and a second judge ignores her, look, here's how ridiculous it is. She recorded all of these, uh, all of the, what happened in trial. You, during the trial, you can hear the judge say, the question is, did this guy, her ex, and by the way, she can't say her ex's name because of another order for protection, which was gotten in another dubious manner, but it, whether or not he lived for six months 
up to and including the day that he filed what's called a petition. That's basically how you begin the divorce. And I think he filed it. It was like June of 2014. And then maybe 30 or 45 minutes later on this exact same day, she's questioning, or maybe it's longer, whatever, but basically within the same time frame. Tanya's not questioning because she has to do it pro se because she couldn't find good representation. But she asks him, where did you live in June 2014? He says, Oklahoma. And she says, where? He says, Tulsa. And she goes, give me an actual address. And he goes, I did not have a formal address. So right there he admits on the day he filed that he wasn't living in Oklahoma. So if this judge says the rule is that he lived for six months, and he didn't live on the day, how can you find that the state of Oklahoma has the power to move forward in this case? And that's how ridiculous it is. And look, that's, that's in my opinion, the strongest piece of evidence. He also, like two weeks prior, got a New Hampshire driver's license. And like a whole bunch of other evidence that showed that he wasn't living in the state of Oklahoma. But that's how ridiculous it is. And one judge finds it. And now an appeals court has found it. And presumably their Supreme Court is going to overlook it. So you say these are anomalies or, or whatever. And how do you explain that court after court after court, you know, willfully or through ignorance or through incompetence refuses to acknowledge that, no, the, the, the state of Oklahoma has no business deciding what happens to this house in New Hampshire. And Well, there, there's a lot of most uh, importance in it. There, there, you, you, Michael, right? There's a lot of most right. importance in it because, I mean, the best thing he came up with was a storage receipt, okay? Right. And, you know, yet we had a legal, he had a legal address here, driver's license, our marriage certificate here, um, our home, our marital here, home here. She means here. New Hampshire. She means okay, New, New Hampshire, Hampshire. right. Right. One of the things that crosses my mind, and probably some of the listeners as well, is, well, couldn't you go ahead and file a case in New Hampshire? And I did. New she Hampshire did. She tried. I did beforehand. Okay, great, great question. And so like, she what's called hand-served it, which means she gave him the, the divorce documents. In New Hampshire, they decided that was not prop, what's called proper service. So this is very important. The rules are important sometimes, but not all the time. So the state of New Hampshire said, you can't file it this way. You have to file it properly. In the meantime, he filed in Oklahoma. However, he didn't file it properly because, number one, you're supposed to notarize it. His lawyer notarized it. We well, can't have your lawyer notarize it. That's clearly a conflict of interest, but even worse. Tanya found out later she signed it and emailed it to her, and then she notarized it. Now, hopefully people know what a notary does, but that's the exact opposite. The whole purpose of a notary is not to do that. So, right. Right. And you're, so you're swearing that you're in front of each other, exactly, and right, a, notar right. and well, a, a, a lawyer can't notarize her own papers. Right, but yeah. you're, you're swearing that you saw this person sign it. Look, well, notaries, Tanya, you know, did no, you, notary. Did you did you file a complaint with the bar association over that, or? Oh, <laughs> of course, the bar. Uh, there, I have a complaint board, that's about forty you know? pages long because that's how many things have gone wrong in this case, and. Um, and no, it's a good old boy and girl system. So, and not only that, you know, I mean, there's so many reasons why this was a flop to begin with and why it shouldn't be there. And the fact that, and the fact that, you know, they're trying to force a case that the taxpayers have to pay for that don't even belong there. That's been going on for four years, but listen to this part. Okay. So before the very first hearing took place, um, Michonne Miller Hughes, who is, 
his attorney um, tried to push for uh, a quick settlement or resolvement while we are waiting for the judge to be ready, the first judge on the case, who is uh, Judge Keeley. So I kept on saying no, and she came up to me with a buddy friend of hers like the fourth time, and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So like an informal mediation, right? So we go into this informal mediation, just Ms. Sean Miller-Hughes, myself, and Judge J. Anthony Miller, okay, who was acting as the informal mediator. We were in there for about half an hour. It was a nightmare. He yelled and screamed at me and, and, and left. He wouldn't let me talk. It was complete bias. And so then a year into the divorce hearing uh, litigation in Oklahoma, you know, I is when Judge Miller was assigned the case. And it was also when I started discovering that I really could prove that he didn't have subject matter jurisdiction. I knew it, but I didn't know I could prove it. But I found in the emails what he had emailed because he had given me his password when he was trying to get back together with me once because of the inappropriate things he was doing. And I had said, okay, I'll take it. It's no way to live, but I'll take it for now. So he forgot to delete, delete. So I found out a lot, including that notarized email uh, you, you know, the, for the initial petition, but this judge, Judge Miller, when I saw him in person and I went down there for a hearing, the very first hearing in front of him in person after he was assigned, I was like, oh my God, that's the same judge that I saw in mediation. Now, what that means is he had prior knowledge of the case. That's a conflict of interest right there. He should have recused himself. Not to mention, come to find out, that both Judge J. and special Judge J. Anthony Miller, so he was appointed in, okay? Not only that, but he, uh, he went to this, they went to the same law school together, okay? They were in the same law school at the same time, the now defunct ORU Law School. That's another reason for him to recuse himself. Now, he refused to recuse himself, and he cited regarding him having uh, the prior knowledge of the case uh, through the mediation. He said that that wasn't him. It must have been another judge and printed out the docket for that day to show in his defense. Okay? Well... Who cares what the docket said that day? This was a last-minute thing that got squeezed in, as it happens all the times in bigger courts. Not only that, but I could prove that he was lying and trying to create false documentation because on, in one of the hearings with the prior judge, Judge Keeley, we actually had a conversation, and it's on a transcript that special judge J. Anthony Miller did indeed meet us for an informal or or mediation snagged snagged i bring it to the appeals court to say hey this guy's gotta get off get off this case no and yet the rule is that if there's any appearance of impropriety whatsoever appearance they need to recuse themselves 
uh, okay, and again, you know, forgive me because I know that, you know, uh, but I just want everything to be as clear as possible because people who are not involved in the court system, uh, they they get the TV version and everything is in order and everything is sequential and everything is logical. Um, and sure. that's not how it's working in real life. So let's just right. back up. You had this marriage. How long was the duration of the marriage? It, well, before we were separated, six months, approximately six months. Okay. So you were married for six months before you were separated. For the last four years, the court litigation has been going on. <laughs> Imagine because that. Of the, uh, because of the property settlement. Is this correct? Right. Can, can, I, can, I, can I just interject really quickly? Part, sure. part of the reason is, is because the, the court creates this ridiculously slow process. It took, I think, more than a year from the time that Tanya appealed till the time that the appeals court made a decision. And that decision was, I think, 16 pages. So it's like they wrote a page and a quarter per month. And then yeah. she can still appeal she can still appeal that to the to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. But they the, the way she explained it to me wouldn't even let her appeal directly. First she had to have this other appeal and then after that other appeal was adjudicated, then you could appeal to the to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. So part of the reason that it's taking so long is because they've created these burdensome rules and they take their time. So, well, yeah, it was just they pigeonholed me until I can't even argue it. Okay, but I want to get back so that we can just clarify for the audience the, the process here, okay? And then we can debate, you know, the, the, the merits of the process. So you were married for four months. You separated. You have been in litigation for the last four years over... Ma married November. in married November 2013. Um, yeah, married November 2013, separated... June 2014. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so from November until June, um, so that's six, seven months probably, right, that you were married. Okay. You left after four months, you said. Well, I, I didn't. Uh, no. No. Okay. All right. So no, it was I, 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 hand, I hand served him uh after I, I hand served him it was either end of may or beginning of of, of june it was or is it, it was in june actually i hand served him okay well and uh and i did it be long right. before uh, i did it before he did me did, yeah okay all right but but the the chronology here is you were married about seven months then you separated um and the litigation has been going on for four years and, and the reason, the reason is been let fighting me, the let corruption. Me, let me, Tanya, let me let me just clarify because uh, the, 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 there's a lot of information here, and I want to make sure that people just understand the sequential, you know, the process here. Okay, so let's just go through the process. Seven months married, file for divorce. Are you officially divorced now? No. Did the divorce decree I, come I, through? I, there is a divorce decree, but there's nothing valid in Oklahoma if they don't have subject matter jurisdiction. Do I want to be divorced? Well, I want it to be annulled. I want it to to not have been, you know, it wasn't real. It was the marriage was based on fraud. Okay, but according As, to the court that adjudicated, you are divorced. That, that's the way it is right now in Oklahoma. Um, why did you live in Oklahoma at all during this marriage? I didn't. 
did he and and you said he didn't either um so no, we he lived in Oklahoma when we met okay but you were living in New Hampshire Oklahoma. When during the 7 months you were married yeah i never i never lived there we were married in california okay, okay. and our okay. home is here all right so here we go. We've got seven months of marriage, never lived in Oklahoma during that seven months. Then you file for divorce, and he files for divorce instead in Oklahoma, and that court then has been responsible for these dominoes of decisions that have come ever since. Yes, Correct. and the reason this is okay. taking so long is because they expected me to, 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 to fall, to crash, by, by now, which believe me, there's been some really hard times, but I keep getting up and say, no, I'm 55 years old. You know what I mean? I've walked away from plenty. I've started over, you know, all, all that stuff. That's okay. You know, pull up the big girl boots, but this has been so devastating financially. I just, and uh, in every possible way that, you know, just walking away wasn't Okay. Uh, you know, it just, it wasn't okay. And so what I've been basically fighting isn't, is, is, is the corruption. It, it, that's what I've been fighting. It doesn't belong there. How do I wind up with an order of protection that has an address for me that says I live in Oklahoma and the judge is okay with that? Um, when and and I never did a darn thing, and and you know everything that he claimed is false, and I can pretty much prove it. Um, I'm not a violent person. And then how do I wind up with um, a perjury charge that the judge finally was willing to give him a citation on against him uh, and, for perjuring, and it, it was arraigned, and I was supposed to have a jury trial, and all, all of a sudden. It's buried. Nobody can find it. But yet I have a copy of the judge's signature on it. And on the docket, in the, in the court docket with, you know, our 100 pages in district court, in the notes it says, or it said, it's probably removed by now because that's another story, docket tampering. But I have a copy of it that says that he was arraigned for this direct contempt perjury charge. And a jury trial was awarded. So I go to follow up with that. Now, mind you, if somebody has perjured themselves and it's in the same case that is being litigated, that case should never go on until you find until there is a finding in that perjury charge because the the the, the divorce hearing you know ninety fifty percent of it is based on his testimony and fifty percent of it is based on mine, right? So if right. he's being charged with perjury, why are we having a trial until this is resolved? Oh, well, she must be mistaken. There's no perjury charge against him. Excuse me, I have it right in front of me. I have it right in front of me with the judge's signature. I also have a copy of what was written on the court dockets that says that he was served, he was arraigned, and I was awarded a jury trial. And yet, they're saying I'm nuts. Well, so uh, you, you know what I mean? This is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think this is the, the part that I want our audience to understand. Um, I want our under, audience to understand how laborious the system is. I think the assumption, as I said before, that most people have, I mean, I, I've heard people say, well, oh, he was a horrible person and he abused you or whatever. Well, just take him to court. Just take him to court. 
like there is some sort of magic justice involved with taking somebody to court, when in fact <laughs> just the opposite can be the case. It's not magic justice. It's laborious. It is um, uh, convoluted. It is inconsistent. That's, I think, the the, the true gist of your story, um, trying to fight through a system that really is not designed to be fair. Um, it's designed well, 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 you know what? It's laborious if it goes right, all right? It's laborious even if it goes right. Imagine what it is when it goes yeah. the way this has gone. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like I throw out the word corruption left and right. And, you know, you, use, you should use those words very, very carefully. As a matter of fact, if you say in, 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 in a court or, you know, I've heard of, of people, somebody told me that her friend went to jail for using the word corrupt against the wrong party. And they went to jail because of it, they, insubordination or, or whatever it is. So, you, you know, going through any kind of a suit is exhausting, whether you have a good lawyer or not. Mm-hmm. If there's corruption oh, and- involved, what what on earth is that? Yeah. Well, and as you pointed out, we kind of glossed over it, but the fact is you haven't had lawyers. Lawyers are expensive. You've had well, lawyers I, I did. all on your own. And I did. I had, I had two, I had the, two all, lawyers. The, you, oh, you do have yeah, lawyers. No, okay. she's... So Times, but also at times she's had to represent, including during the trial. Um, what what happens is the lawyers wind up working against you. Right. Go ahead, Michael. Part of the thing that's important with this matter jurisdiction and and forum shopping is because you get this home team advantage, up home team advantage. So. You know, her knows the right lawyer in Oklahoma who can then file it with the right judge, and suddenly, who doesn't know anyone to find a lawyer? No good lawyer wants to take it on because they know that this connects to the election. So she's able to find lawyers who wind up working against her, and then she has to do all, including filing all of these appeals, you know, like one of them is called the writ of certiorari. People figure out what a writ of certiorari is and how you file it properly and make sure it's done right. And by the way, you know, it's like 20 days. If you get them in 21 days, then that's, it doesn't even matter how good it is. So, you know, you want to try to figure all that out. This is the kind of thing she's had to do for the last. Yeah. Writ of certiorari. Right. No, it's an. It's yeah. you, suddenly and, and my, you know you're my, almost ready to take the bar exam, even though I'd never be one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I had an, an attorney on the show once, and I identified him as an attorney, and he said, "No, no, I'm no longer an attorney. Now I'm just a nice guy." Right. <laughs> can we just add something? It, this, it this is. Sort of um, I, I think that um, it, you know, if we're learning anything from this conversation. Uh, it, it is how you know the, the convolutions and the and another thing that I've noticed which I, you haven't just, brought up, uh, which you haven't brought. Okay, Michael, you're cutting in and out, so I'm losing you. And if I'm I'm walking over you, I'm sorry. It's because we're not hearing you. No here pacing, Michael. No pacing. No pacing. You got to right. stay in one spot. <laughs> yeah. You got to hear me now or no? Another issue that I have seen in court cases um, is that if you wait long enough. If you drag it out long enough, 
some of those decisions that were made four years ago, now the judge is saying, well, that was so long ago, now we're changing that. We're changing that. And so what you think was written in stone isn't really written in stone. Um, Even if it's, you know, even if you're not in the the court shopping uh, scenario, even if you're, you know, not in the what you call the home court advantage, but even in under the best of scenarios, if if there seems to be a a factor in um, dragging out these proceedings so that they then go before a different judge who then says, well, it's right. been to that was four years ago. Let's not bother with that now. We'll do do it this way now. Um, so um, I'm trying to uh, wrap my mind around this because this is such a, a broad topic. Can we talk a little bit more, Michael or Tanya, about some of the other tactics that are used? Um, uh, you, you mentioned, of course, what we've been talking about, the, the um, uh, uh, court shopping or judge shopping mm-hmm. so that you can get to a venue mm-hmm. that you like. Uh, I just mentioned the, the time factor of dragging it out. Um, you know, if you can keep dragging it out, things can change. What are some of these other mm-hmm. things that can occur typically um, to skew justice? They try to drain you financially. Okay. They try to drain you, drain you financially. That you know, if it, it keeps going, keeps right. going, keeps going, then um, right. the party without the money um, mm-hmm. is absolutely. Look, I've I've driven across country. I think it was four out of the eight times that I was there, and I, I slept in a truck that I had at one point in the middle of of the winter. I think I stopped in Buffalo, New York, and and you know, and 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 bundled up with with blankets. Um, on my way there, um, you, you know, desperate measures start to take place. And some people just, you know, that's how they get you. They wear you out. They wear you out. They keep pick, 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 right. pick, 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 pick. And if you don't show up, then it all goes their their way. Not that it would go their way anyways. And then now, you, you know, towards the end of uh, of the the litig- the uh, hearings and before the trial actually took place, there was a um, uh, or during the trial, the other party actually filed something that I pay all the attorney fees, which are well over a hundred thousand dollars now, and they even wound up their side even wound up because I am going after the attorney for her part in. Uh, in the corruption, and, and Michael, we haven't even gone into the uh, what happened in the courtroom yet, right? Um, no. So, so she's. I was going after her, you know, the bar and whatnot, you know, and she's not used to people standing up to her, okay? And she's used to having things go her way, and I called her out on it fairly early on. And um, so now what does she do? She files uh, saying that all this is my fault, that this has gone on so long, and that I need to be the one to pay all of the attorney's fees. And and yet, in another court here in New Hampshire, uh, there was another matter regarding the house that I was trying to do something up here, um, uh, you know, to find my own justice where it wasn't happening there. He, they file here. He had an he has an attorney here where he says he's already paid seventy thousand dollars in attorney's fees in Oklahoma. Well, wait a minute. Somebody's lying here, okay? You know. So he said he's already paid seventy thousand dollars in attorney fees in Oklahoma, and yet the attorney is saying she hasn't gotten paid a red cent yet, and that 
it was like a year and a half ago uh, that I would have to pay uh, 70-something thousand dollars. Right can now, I, can I add to that? Can I add to that, Heather? First of all, I, I'm always I'm a, I'm amazed by how often I hear an attorney file for for the opposite party to pay the attorney fees, and the opposite party is representing themselves. Like, if they can't afford their own attorney, how are they supposed to pay for your attorney fees? And look, it's, it's I, I don't see it once or twice. I, I see that all the time. That's a great tactic. This filing tactic, motion after yeah. motion. Right. Motion after motion after motion. If you're an aggressive attorney, the almost the heart of my, my book about Chris Mackney bullied to death. That's exactly what these other attorneys, that's something attorneys can do, you know, left and right, just start to litigate everything. Um, that's a great tactic. If you have all the money and you're just trying to bleed the other side dry, just litigate everything. And then uh, any disagreements you file for attorney fees. Those are two great tactics that people who have the right lawyer can use against someone with limited or no resources. But yet they accused well, I, me of frivolous filings only because I was trying to stand up for myself saying, no, he's perjured. And, and, and no, these, these subpoenas are illegal. You didn't give me time to answer them. And no, you, you know what I mean? So because of that, I am making frivolous filings and that's why I should pay. Why? Because I'm standing up to you more than the average Joe does. You know, no, I'm not going to take it. And I still won't take it. You know, whatever comes of this, uh, the Supreme Court, I'm still not going to take it. I'm going to go farther. It's just, it's not going to end here. And it's not about me. It's about all these other, it's not about me alone, I should say. It's about all these other people who are relying on a sense of fairness and a sense of justness, okay? Not perfection, but justice. When you go to court and something is supposed to happen, and this all boils down to, Heather, and Michael, as we know, our Constitution, our civil rights, and and those civil rights trump their um, uh, protections. They they really do. You might say, oh, they're protected here, they're protected there, they're protected everywhere. Okay, maybe in that system, but guess what? Our civil rights are trump whatever they're doing there that's wrong that's wrong and we need now, to you make they, you're, are you talking about the court personnel the, yes the, the judges and okay all right yes uh, yes and the lawyers yes yeah yeah you can't sue a judge i mean well there is one scenario you can't you can you, you can you can just almost a, it's very hard but to be successful can, you can sue them. I know lots of I know lots I know lots of people who have sued a judge can, just non successfully. Okay. <laughs> well, some have been you successful can, though. Okay, stop, stop. Okay, uh, uh, um, the, the, you can sue a court for violating the Americans uh, for Disabilities Act, the ADA. They are vulnerable okay. under that, and there is a, 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 a professor, an, an attorney in um, uh, Colorado named Dr. Karen Huffer who has started a program with John Jay University, and that program trains advocates on, about the Americans for Disabilities Act in order to go with a person like you, Tanya, into court, mm -hmm. and if because she has PTSD, that's a protected disability. So
So, for mm-hmm. example, um, what Dr. Huffer is doing is you can go with an advocate into court. The advocate is not representing you as an attorney. The advocate is representing you as a disabled person. And if the judge requires something of you that is inconsistent with accommodations required for your disability, they can then be sued. Well, right, and well, this is, actually uh, Michael, you want to go ahead and tell her what happened? Yeah, so, you want to? Yeah, so this is a great segue. Maybe uh, let's lay it out. And Heather, why don't you tell us after you listen to what happened, if you think there's an ADA uh, lawsuit here. So, Kenny, why don't you explain what happened at, uh, in court that day? Okay, well, prior to the trial, I had requested a next of friends and offered an in-bank viewing of my medical records based on my uh, both my PTSD and my ADHD comprehension. Okay, so I behave myself, you know, and, and hey, if I didn't, you know, that's ADD medication, right? But but my ADD is is comprehension. So so with for me, um, I had been on a medication um, as a you know prophylactically to well no just to help me with my comprehension issues, and it really helps greatly. But I had been taken off of the medication because I had some severe anxiety given all of this litigation that was going on and still is. And I was having panic attacks and wound up passing out a couple of times. And so I had asked for, and and I had started seeing somebody when this all started happening, you know, and I had already been on my medication for ADD, you know, throughout years, you know. So, uh, so when I came off of the ADD medication, me handling all of this and the volumes and volumes of paperwork, and then my PTSD uh, was just out of control and uh and so i had filed saying i needed a a next a friend to come with me to help take notes and help me keep my things in order somebody sit next to me and offered once again my medical records in in the private review and bank he declined me he declined me i then again i i I requested a um i said i requested a reconsideration for that he declined me. So here I go, and I show up after he declined me. Those rights that I believe I had to have that next of, of friend. And, but before I went, I saw my psychiatrist, because that's who you need to prescribe your ADD medications or certain other medications. And I let, them, I let him know. And, um, and he said, well take this as something that if for an emergency and it was something called trazodone i had never taken it before okay so in case i started you know having this ptsd build up um i had something to take so i had asked before the hearing even started once again in person i said your honor i'm not prepared i have this disability i really need this to be delayed until i have the proper support and so he, when you hear him on the recordings, he sounds as though, oh, well, what is it that you need, Ms. Hathaway, and this and that, the other thing. But the bottom line was he still wound up saying no and still refused to view my medical records, which would confirm the help that I needed. 
And so uh, he did say that I could step out if I felt myself starting to have a panic attack or, you know, just to calm my breathing. So that happened a couple of times. I did step out, calm my breathing, and I went back in. You know, I got it under control. And and then um, there was another time when it started getting really bad, and I stepped out. And Michonne Miller-Hughes out of Tulsa District Court, she's the, she is the lawyer, um, for the other side, she comes out into the hallway where I was sitting by myself and the only other person in sight was a bailiff and she walks out and about 10 yards away from the court and she starts badgering me and this is on, this is on a recording and, and she's trying to make a deal with me and I'm like, Michonne, I can't take this, please just leave me alone and you know, I'm crying, I'm you know, audibly upset and whatnot. I wind up Going down to being treated after she finally left me alone, my, it got even worse. The bailiff saw what was, you know, that I was having a really hard time struggling. He starts to bring me down the elevator to the EMTs. I drop in his arms, um, and then it was quick. But then, but but then, you know, the EMTs were treating me, being given oxygen, and this happened a second time where I had ten percent oxygen also, and I was forced to go back into court. But this one time. Um, I got subpoenaed and they said, you need to come back to, to court. Otherwise everything is going to, de- to, to default in their favor. And so the EMT looks at me and he's like, naughty, no. And I'm like, I have no choice. You know what I mean? And so I took that trazodone, which I had never, ever, ever taken before. And I chewed it knowing that I needed something fast acting you know, the oxygen had already been in me. I was starting to normalize, but I also knew I was going back into something even worse than what I already knew was a lion's den. And so I took the trazodone. I made my way back into the courtroom. And then about 20 minutes or so into the uh, the trial continuing, I started to slur and, and sway and whatnot. And Michelle miller Hughes says, oh, Your Honor, let's let Tanya sit down. This is an awful long blah, blah, blah. And, that, and that's when I said, I still had my wherewithal. And I said, Your Honor, I said, actually, this is what's just happened. And because you ordered me to come back into court, this is what I took. And right now I'm incapacitated and I cannot stand up for myself. I said, I'm, I, I, I am, you know, can we please, I wasn't saying that stop it. I said, can we please continue this the, the, the next day? And that next day, by the way, was on the docket still for the trial. And, um, and so I had disclosed what I took, my, my physical state given the medicine, and then the other part, and then the, his lawyer said motion to strike, and the judge struck it. And it was only shortly after that that I, I don't remember the rest of the trial, but they had their heyday with me. So, well, your original question here was, Michael, was would this qualify as an ADA uh, case? And my answer to you is I don't know, but if I were uh, you, Tanya, I would certainly investigate it. Um, since okay, you have been no, diagnosed no. With PTSD. Now, bear in mind that the, the ADA does not include all disabilities, uh, the act is, uh, um, includes certain physical disabilities, almost all physical disabilities, but it, as far as what they call the psychiatric disabilities, it only covers acute anxiety, chronic depression, and PTSD. But that's a lot of territory. So right. if, I were you, if I were you, Tanya, I would go ahead and uh, check out. We have exhausted our time today. I can't wow. believe where the time went. 
Um, but I appreciate both of you being with me. Tanya, please give me more info happening. Thank you, Michael Bopley. Thank you, Tanya Hathaway. And thank you for listening to Three Women. Thank you very much.